Coming out of a successful bye week, the Seahawks will now be looking to push for an NFC West title and a deep playoff push in January. Where do they need to improve, though, to make those goals happen? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down in our latest Monday installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening from Honolulu, Hawaii, or Lisbon, Portugal. We greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. We are feeling a little bit recharged. The chops are freshly shaved. We are going into a new week here after the Seahawks the weekend off we got the weekend off so we are fired up to be breaking down a big matchup coming up against the Cincinnati Bengals we'll take a first look at Joe Burrow and company coming off of a big win over the Cardinals yesterday we'll discuss that later in the show we've got our Monday mailbag and much more so without further ado let's get to it now for your lead story here on our Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks Seahawks fans didn't have to worry about fretting about a decision on Sunday or Monday night with the Seahawks having an early bye week, and it gave the team a chance to get much healthier today. Charles Cross was back at practice. Jamal Adams is very close to being out of concussion protocol. Geno Smith is feeling good after tweaking his knee in that Monday night game against the Giants. So while they're not fully healthy, the Seahawks certainly have taken advantage of that bye week and look like they will be much closer to full strength going into this week. And now that there's 13 games left on the schedule, we've seen what the 49ers look like. My goodness, were they impressive last night against the Dallas Cowboys. But Seattle's only a game and a half behind them in the NFC West. They've got the top wild card right now in the conference, sitting at 3-1, and one, getting healthier. They like their chances of being able to sneak in there with the upper echelon of the NFC. But Rob, you and I both know that this team still has a lot of areas to improve. And so let's talk about it. Where does this Seahawks team need to take that next step forward if they want to be able to emerge as a viable contender to go up against the 49ers, the Eagles, the elite teams of the NFC? Well, I, and I love that you just mentioned that the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, that, that is basically what you're trying to compete to uh, to beat here. The Philadelphia Eagles, of course, the same thing. And and one of the things that I see when I watch the Eagles and the 49ers play is I see explosive plays, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the football. And I'm just going to focus in on the offensive side of the football here just for a moment. I have not seen enough explosive plays from a Seahawks offense that, frankly, I thought was going to be full of explosive plays. They were full of explosive plays a year ago and when you invest a first round pick in a wide receiver when you reward geno smith uh or the, excuse me the comeback player of the year a year ago you expect to see some explosive plays right now Corbin, the Seahawks basically rank in the in the bottom 10 in terms of explosive plays, both in 20-yard uh, plays of 20-plus yards, and they only have one play of 40-plus yards, and that was the touchdown or 
should have close to being a touchdown that Drew Locke threw to Noah Fant for 51 yards. That's it. Now, granted, the Seahawks have only played four games. A lot of the other NFL teams out there, of course, have played five games. But still, that to me is one of the things that the Seahawks have got to be better at. It's all about being able to have explosive plays in today's up-tempo NFL. The Seahawks have not shown enough of them. They've shown enough to be a playoff contender, not necessarily a Super Bowl contender. And that's something that I think that they still need to kind of bridge that gulf if they're going to be able to compete with the best teams in all of the NFL. You look at last year compared to this year, Geno Smith led the NFL with 14 passing touchdowns through the air of at least 20 yards. He has yet to throw one over 16 yards this year, which that's the number Pete Carroll cites for explosives in the passing game. Seattle has not had a single passing touchdown. They had 18 last year that were at least 16 yards, was the most in the NFL. So the explosives haven't been there. They're in the middle of the pack of the run game. They've given up more 20-plus yard pass plays than any team in the league, at least going into week five. So they've also given up too many explosives. So that's been an issue, or really on both sides of the ball. And third down, once again, I hate to continue beating a dead horse, but this is still the Achilles heel of the Seattle Seahawks. Now, there are some asterisks that we can put here. They have been playing games with multiple starting offensive linemen out of the lineup, and I do think that's impacted the explosives, too, from a play-calling standpoint. I don't think Shane Waldron is letting those longer-developing routes be a big part of the playmaking or play-calling palette because it doesn't feel like the pass protection is going to hold up. And I think we've seen that on third down, too, as well as the backups have played that has been noticeable. The Seahawks barely over 28% conversion rate on third down this year. They're also 31st in third down defense. And we've seen the struggle, especially the Rams game week one, unable to get off the field on a consistent basis. So the third down issue, it's been a problem for a number of seasons for the Seahawks, but this year it's actually been worse statistically. They're 31st in offense and defense. They've got to at least get into the teens. If they could improve their offensive third down rate by five to 10%, then this offense is probably going to be a top three scoring offense because they haven't been able to avoid the punts and sustain drives. And they're still sixth in points per game. So that to me is a huge thing for the Seahawks team. They've got to figure out the third down issues on both sides of the ball. It's been an emphasis. And unfortunately it hasn't manifested on the field yet. No, it absolutely has not. And I, I again, I love the fact that you mentioned some different reasons that uh, might be the the root cause of why Seattle has not produced a whole bunch of uh, of big plays on offense, and obviously the youth on defense. It, I think is some of the reason why you're seeing a lot of big plays there. I'm going to shift to the, the special teams. Uh, you, you said basically about the, the fact that Seattle has been so inconsistent on third down. Well, they've been even more inconsistent on fourth down when it comes when they're on offense and special teams. Look, if Jason Myers wasn't the second highest paid kicker in all of the NFL, then perhaps I wouldn't have a problem with him being the second worst kicker in the NFL when it comes to field goal accuracy. Corbin, he's hitting less than 70%. Now, Grant, again, we're talking in the fourth, you know, four games here. He's nine out of 13. There's no reason to panic at this point. But the reason why you brought him back on a four-year, $21 million deal is because of the fact that he has been very accurate, certainly when it comes to deeper field goals. Right now, his longest field goal is 43 yards, and he has missed field goals in three of the four games in which the Seahawks have played. So for a team like the Seahawks and Pete Carroll, who is always going to stress these closed football games, I think that you have to be excellent 
in the special teams unit. And the Seahawks, frankly, have not been that, at least with the kickers. So that's Jason Meyer specifically. I think it's somebody that we have to kind of highlight here is somebody that the Seahawks need to play better if they are going to be better in the second half of this season. That really is a perfect segue for my other pointer here. And again, I hate to be dead horses when we're talking about situational football, but finishing drives, that has really been the Achilles heel for the Seahawks on both sides of the football. And it's not just Jason Myers. That would have been nice to have a few of those field goals. Absolutely. He has to be better. Under 70% is not acceptable. But Seattle, believe it or not, Rob, they're actually right now 13th in red zone touchdown percentage, which is that's respectable. If you can be in the top 10 by the end of the season, then that's good. You're not that far outside of it. The run game is the reason that has improved so much. We've seen Ken Walker, the third punch, a bunch of touchdowns in in short, short yardage, which is a huge change from last year where Seattle was arguably the worst running team in the red zone in the entire NFL but they need more from their passing game in the red zone. Geno Smith has not thrown any interceptions. He's thrown five touchdowns, so he's among the top seven in the NFL for passing touchdowns, but he's got a 50% completion rate. There have been some touchdowns and some other plays that would have moved them closer to the end zone that have been left on the field, and I feel like the pass protection has been worse in the red zone too with the backup. So again, there's some uh, circumstances that are playing into this, but they need more from Geno Smith specifically on third down, third down and in the red zone so that they can finish these drives. And the red zone issues also go to the defense. Rob, they're dead last in the NFL. They're giving up a touchdown on more than 87% of their red zone drives, which is easily dead last in the NFL. So Really, the theme of this has got to be finished. Do you want to be able to finish deep in the playoffs in January? Then you better learn how to finish getting third downs and turning them into a new set of downs, finishing your drives in the red zone, turning three points into six or zero points into six. They have to find ways to limit opponents too. And the bend but don't break has not necessarily fit with this defense for Seattle. When teams are getting in the red zone, they are scoring touchdowns. They've got to find a way to clean that up. To me, those numbers speak for themselves. If you are able to turn six to three and three into six on the two sides of the football, it really can impact the number of games that you win in a league where there's very little margin for error. Coming up next, we are going to be answering your questions on our Monday mailbag segment. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, which is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. We're about to wrap up week five, and there's still incredible offers available from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, such as the Seahawks being a three-point underdog going to Cincinnati this weekend. Player props such as Devin Witherspoon's Defensive Rookie of the Year odds, over-unders, and much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure on Friday to check out, with football season being here, we have Locked on NFL kickoff live. Each Friday, Locked on will go live at 2 p.m. Eastern on every Locked on NFL YouTube channel. Host Tanitra Batiste, 
Jarvis Davis and Kyle Krabs will break down every game on the NFL slate to get you ready for your team's matchup, your fantasy lineups, your bending angles, and more. Plus, get the in-depth local analysis from our stable of NFL hosts across the country who know these teams better than anyone else. Find Locked on NFL Kickoff Live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern on any Locked on NFL YouTube channel. All right, let's get to our mailbag questions, shall we? Now, before we get to the football-related ones, I have to just throw this question out there because there were about five of you on X as well as YouTube that asked similar questions. And so this was the theme question, Rob. We got to start things off because it is Halloween season after all. So the question that we got from multiple listeners, what is your go-to holiday movie or TV show? Wow. Uh, go to how, I mean, for Halloween, it's gotta be Halloween. I mean, for me, if you're going to try and scare somebody, um, you know, I, that, that would be the movie for me. I I'm not a big, uh, you know, uh, horror, uh, movie kind of a person. And when it comes to movies, I'd actually rather read books. You might, those of you who really zoom in and kind of look at some of the books behind me, I have what I consider to be the greatest horror, uh, writer of all time, Stephen King, a whole collection of them behind me. So just about any number of Stephen King's books, I think that would, would qualify for that. I just haven't seen a lot of his books actually translate into the types of movies that I would see when I read his stuff i have other images than of uh, what i think the hollywood directors i think have have demonstrated um but at the same time again uh for me when it comes to the the hall the the Halloween type of movies, holiday type of movies are a very different thing. We can have the, the Christmas conversation at some other point. My wife would be upset if I didn't mention the movie Elf when it comes to Christmas <laughs> stuff. But when it comes to Halloween, again, they just got to kind of go with the namesake and Michael Myers and all that kind of stuff with Halloween. Yeah, I'll admit, I mean, I'm, I'm a horror movie buff, so this is a very hard question for me because I watch a little bit of everything. If you look on my shelf behind me, I've got a Critter, which is probably my favorite all-time uh, monster movie. I, I absolutely love the Critter movies. I'm a Critters nerd. I have Gremlins as well, but I, I would have to say the one that actually has a new movie in theaters, and I haven't gotten to see it yet, so no spoilers, listeners, but Saw. I, I am a huge Saw fan. I want to play a game. It is my all-time favorite, and I just Tobin Bell is one of my favorite actors. I think he one of the most iconic characters playing as John Kramer, Jigsaw. But anyway, that would be my choice. Let's get to the football questions now, shall we? Rob, this one coming from Tyler Hendricks on X. What do the Hawks need to do to get JSN more involved in the offense? Time. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, like I, I hate to just be so glib and just say one word answer on that. But, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a receiver that uh, at Ohio State, uh, you know, his his former quarterback, C.J. Stroud, basically said that he was the best wide receiver that he'd ever played with. You think about all those Ohio State receivers who are so good. One of the reasons why Jackson Smith and Jigba was so good is just because of the craftiness as a route runner and the hands that he possesses. Um, that takes rapport with the quarterback. The Seahawks are going to be able to establish that. Gino's going to get that with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Gino Smith is too accurate. Jackson Smith is Jackson Smith and Jigba is too good of a route runner and a hands catcher not for that to happen, but it is going to take some time. And Corbin, you hit on this in the first segment there. The you know, Shane Waldron's the play caller has been a little bit hamstrung here with the injuries of the offensive tackle position. That is keeping the tight ends in and it's not allowing Jackson Smith and Jigba to run the type of routes that have allowed him to be as it more 
more of an explosive player. So I think that we are going to start to see some big plays from JSN. As you mentioned, Charles Cross was back on the practice field for the Seahawks here. I think as the Seahawks get a little bit more time, then you're going to see a little bit more playmaking ability from number 11. Our next question from Dennis, Dennis Gill 10 on X. How would you use Witherspoon and Woolen to cover Chase and Boyd? So we're going to have more time to break this down on Matchup Wednesday because that is obviously going to be one of the spicy matchups going into this game sure. in Cincinnati. But I don't think that this is going to be rocket science. I don't envision Pete Carroll bucking trends where he's got Devin Witherspoon traveling with Jamar Chase. I just don't think he's going to do that. Now, could I see Witherspoon play some on the boundary and in the slot the way that he did against the Giants? Absolutely. We saw the weapon that he can be when you play him inside. And the Bengals will move their receivers around as well, including Boyd. Boyd in the slot is a player that can do a lot of damage, especially if T. Higgins is available this week. That is going to be a storyline worth watching because if T. Higgins is available with his size, his playmaking ability, that Bengals receiving core is as good as any in the NFL. If he's out, it's still a really good receiving core, but it's not – a top three one. There's a big drop off, especially with Charlie Jones, their rookie from Purdue now being on injured reserve. So I don't think they're going to be reinventing the wheel here as far as how they're going to be trying to cover these guys. We might see more safety doubling up to try to help out wherever Jamar Chase is at because he's that good. He's that dynamic, but I don't see them doing anything new as far as traveling their best corner, things like that, that they historically have not done under Pete Carroll. Our next question, Chase Rydell, 41 on X. Rob, what gives you any hope Seattle can play with San Francisco after Dallas got slaughtered by them? It's an excellent question. I think that San Francisco looked spectacular uh, in this, this past uh, Sunday night football game. Um, I, I'm, I think that the Seahawks are fortunate that they weren't playing the 49ers, who are playing right now like the best team in all of the NFL. You know, that said, the Super Bowl is played in February and we are in October. And so let's see how what kind of depth that the 49ers have. Of course, uh, you know, when you don't have Brock Purdy out there, the 49ers are a very different team. You have Nick Bosa, you have Fred Warner. All of these players are guys that at times have struggled with uh, a little bit of injury issues over the, over the, uh, the course of the season. So I am excited about what the 49ers have offered because I'm a big fan of quality football, not necessarily just the Seattle Seahawks. And so I, I think that what the 49ers are doing right now is spectacular, but I love the Seahawks depth. That's one of the things that has been very impressive to me. And I have not have yet to see a team that has the cornerbacks that I think that can slow down Seattle's wide receivers and passing game when they really start to hum. So that to me is one of the things I am most excited about is it feels like the Seahawks are so young that they should get better as the season goes on. Whereas the 49ers are a veteran squad We'll see if their durability can last. You lose a couple of their superstars. That's a club that can drop off the face of the earth really quickly. D Panky 827 on X. Was the loss at Cincy in 2015 arguably the worst loss during Pete Carroll's tenure? They led by 17 heading into the fourth quarter and lost 27 to 24 in overtime, despite Thomas Rawls rushing for 169 yards and averaging almost seven yards per attempt. So if we're looking at regular season and postseason, there's obviously a game that is going to be above this one on the list. But if we're just talking regular season games, yeah, that one is in that select list because that was one of the biggest meltdowns that we saw during the Legion of Boom era. I mean, this was still when Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and Richard Sherman and company, all those guys were still on the roster and they all played in that game as well. 
And so Andy Dalton, a young Andy Dalton, and the Bengals ended up coming back into that one when Seattle had a 17-point advantage. It was one of the bigger meltdowns. I don't know if I would say it was the worst regular season loss that they've had. I think the one in week one was one of the worst ones I've seen this year. Uh, And maybe it's recency bias, but there have certainly been a few during Pete Carroll's tenure. I think they're up there, but that game has to be on that short list considering how much the Seahawks fell apart and unraveled in that final quarter. DFAN8024 on YouTube, how do players get selected for post-game interviews? Is it a good thing or an obligation? So, Rob, you and I actually both have experience dealing with this, so this may be one that both of us end up answering, but this really boils down to the PR department for the most part, choosing players, and a lot of times it's the same guys, your quarterbacks, your linebackers, Geno Smith and Bobby Wagner, those are typically who get picked. As far as in the locker room, that's who you can get your access to who is willing to speak with you. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Corbin. I mean, you as a as a beat reporter have a little bit more experience with this. Uh, I've gone to a lot of post-game press conferences, and it's typically it's going to be the team captains. Almost always it's going to be the quarterback. Uh, that's why they get a lot of credit when the team wins. It's why they get a lot of blame. Um, and if there are a quarterback who is accountable, then win or lose, they're going to be out there and kind of facing the brunt of that media scrutiny. Um, and, and then on the defensive side of the ball, often it's going to be again one of the team captains and certainly if it's a player that had a spectacular performance then you know as you mentioned the the PR staff public relations staff is going to want to get that player up in front of the camera and have them you know just kind of extol their own virtues and why they had such a spectacular performance but a huge part of that is as you said those people who are those uh, beat reporters who actually go into the locker room they're going to kind of lean in on the players that they know very well or again, had a spectacular performance in that game. So um, those are some of the players. There certainly are some obligations there, but at the same time, it's also about who was the story in the game. Usually those are the ones who are going to be given the quotes being on on FaceTime um, when it comes to actually the interview process as well. Yeah, your big stars like Bobby Wagner, you can't make him available in the locker room usually because you're going to end up with 9,000 reporters all over him. That So those kind of players typically are going to be the ones that get selected and, and they are picked during the week as well because reporters want to talk to those players, fans want to hear from those players. But you're going to have a couple players every game that have big games that are going to get the opportunity to be selected. So usually there's a couple guys each week that are different, but a lot of them are the same guys every week that have the star power and usually are captains as well. Last question here on our mailbag from Max on YouTube. Have we now seen Daryl Taylor's ceiling or is there still hope for him to become as effective as we've seen in past stretches? So I don't think that we have seen his ceiling. I don't think we have. It just hasn't manifested on the field. Now, have we seen flashes as a pass rusher? I think the second half last year, he was as good as any edge rusher in the NFL at getting after the quarterback, but he has just disappeared early on this season. There's been some injuries. He missed most of training camp with a shoulder issue. So I don't know where his health is at at this point, but we have not seen the maximum potential of this kid. And, and you don't always see that. Unfortunately, there are plenty of guys that come into the league that have more potential and they're just not able to unlock it. And right now, the run defense is really what's holding him back. And we just haven't seen what he did in the second half last year. He is a very streaky pass rusher, though. I will say that. So he could go out in Cincinnati and sack Joe Burrow two or three times. He's that kind of a player that is very hot, very cold, 
and he could be having a hot streak coming up. We'll have to wait and see. Again, his health is something that we have to monitor because he's had some injuries during uh, training camp and early on here in the season. Coming up next, we're going to be looking at the Cincinnati Bengals, a first peak. We will be discussing what's new, looking at the draft. I know Rob's always got excitement each week when we're looking at incoming draft picks for teams. The Bengals have several guys that are playing quite a few snaps for them on offense, defense, and special teams. So we'll be taking a peek behind the curtain. First look at the Bengals, Seattle's week six opponent coming up next year on Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by LinkedIn Jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business, and you want to be 100% confident that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. When I was managing SI's site for the Seahawks, LinkedIn Jobs was my go-to post writing positions to land top candidates and made the process easy and seamless. All you have to do is create your job post and add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one and delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked in NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked in NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Monday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up tomorrow, we are going to be dishing out our first quarter grades for Seattle's rookies as we head into week six. So we have some report cards on all the draft picks and a few undrafted guys as well. And we are going to take a deeper look at the Cincinnati Bengals X's and O's personnel-wise, and what to expect from Cincinnati's offense and defense heading into this upcoming matchup in Cincinnati. Let's talk to these Bengals, and they went into the season, Rob, understandably, they were one of the favorites to make a run to the Super Bowl in the AFC, but Joe Burrow misses most of training camp and the preseason with a calf injury. He has started every game, but he hasn't looked like himself until yesterday against the Arizona Cardinals. That was the first time this year that I've seen Joe Burrow just in time to play the Seahawks in week six, that he looked like his old self. He was moving well. He was evading sacks. He was throwing the football well, had a couple of darts. And so this team, they've been notorious for slow starts. That was the same thing this year, starting off one and three, but now they're two and three in a division that is very wide open. The Steelers are in first place at three and two, even though their point differential is like minus 30, I believe. That division is still very much up for grabs. Nobody's taking advantage of Cincinnati's early slump, and this looks to be a team that is now going to be hitting its stride just in time to face the Seahawks squad. Corbin, I feel like I've said, like you said, about five times today. And yet again, I have to agree with your point because I feel like there's not a lot of panic right now with the Cincinnati Bengals. They they have started off slowly, but because the AFC North still feels as winnable as it does, 
Uh, again, I, I think that this is a club that is just kind of starting to get hot at the right time of year, at least from a Cincinnati Bengals perspective, from a Seattle Seahawks perspective. Of course, the time is terrible. Um, but uh, I think, is again, as you said, with Joe Burrow, he finally does look healthy. Um, you know, you mentioned the fact that uh, with Daryl Taylor, that he struggled with injuries a little bit over training camp, and he is kind of notorious for a late start. Same thing here with Joe Burrow. And, and let, let's kind of go back in time for a little bit and kind of just discuss the injury that he suffered. He had a little bit of a knee sprain um, and, and that's the biggest reason why he wasn't as effective. Now at the quarterback position, there's a lot of people out there like, well, it's a knee sprain. You know, throw the football. You don't have to have a knee. Well, Joe Burrow is an athletic guy. I mean, he can buy time in the pocket. You know, I don't know that a lot of people necessarily understand how important your knee is when you're planting that knee to be able to create legitimate velocity on the football. Uh, you know, and so that has been a huge part of this. And uh, again, he looked terrific against the, the Arizona Cardinals here this past weekend. There was a couple of scrambles that he made. There were a couple of more, you know, pinpoint passes that he threw. Suddenly, I mean, all the criticism that Joe Burrow has had, what about Jamar Chase? Didn't have any touchdowns over the first four weeks of the season. He got three against the Arizona Cardinals. So the Bengals look like they are humming right now. It is going to be a fascinating matchup against an equally hot team, of course, and the Seahawks are coming off of their bye, have won three games in a row themselves. I'm really looking forward to this particular matchup. And, you know, as we kind of, as we're talking about here about, you know, what have the Bengals done differently? Where have they made some adjustments? Uh, you mentioned how excited I get about the rookie class. I haven't seen a lot from the rookie class. Arguably, the most productive player has been the undrafted free agent, uh, Charlie Jones, who at least had a punt return for a touchdown. Their first-round pick, Miles Murphy, selected number 28 overall. He's got one tackle for loss. He's got five total tackles so far. There was a lot of people out there who were clamoring for him to be in consideration for the Seahawks at number five overall and certainly at number 20. But Miles Murphy has not been able to to demonstrate much so far in his limited opportunities so far this season. He's again, he's behind a couple of quality veterans for the Bengals. To me, the number one addition that the Bengals made this season is not from the draft. It's actually the offensive tackle, the left tackle, specifically Orlando Brown Jr. Um, at, at the left tackle position. So to me, that is really where the Bengals have improved is they are offering Joe Burrow a little bit better pass protection, which is going to make it critical for the Seattle including Daryl Taylor, to be able to try to get a little bit more of a pass rush because Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and the rest of the Cincinnati Bengals look like they are just starting to earn their stripes, so to speak. Yeah, signing Orlando Brown was a little bit different than we've usually seen from Mike Brown and the Bengals. This is not a franchise that normally spends a lot of money in free agency, but we have seen them try to attack the offensive line. The year before, it was Lyle Collins, and then he got hurt, and then they reached an injury settlement. He was released. And his replacement was Orlando Brown Jr. So they have had a little bit of a revolving door at those tackle positions, but they've been bringing in some name players at that spot to help protect Joe Burrow. And the line's been inconsistent this year. But other than that, not a lot of other high-profile additions. Irv Smith is a player that's always had a lot of potential, former Alabama tight end, played with the Vikings. But he has not been able to stay healthy. That's been his biggest issue, and he's been inconsistent when he has been on the field. Otherwise, they didn't make a lot of additions in free agency. Look at the players that they lost, though. Their secondary took some major hits this offseason. Jesse Bates, a former Pro Bowl safety, he departs. Von Bell, another really solid safety. 
He exits stage left. They lost Hayden Hurst, the tight end, to the Carolina Panthers. Samaje Pirine, a guy that I actually mentioned the Seahawks might have interest in before they obviously drafted Zach Charbonnet, but a guy that could potentially impact third downs. He's been a nice addition, one of the few bright spots for the Denver Broncos. I think Cincinnati has missed him. And, of course, Lyle Collins, I mentioned with his injury, but not a lot of turnover I expect in coming seasons with Joe Burrow now having his new contract. They're going to have to pay Jamar Chase here soon. There are going to be some good players that are going to have to be let go because you can't pay everybody in those circumstances. But right now, this team, there's a reason that they were picked to be one of the top contenders to make the Super Bowl in the AFC. They are loaded on both sides of the football. It just wasn't coming together the first few weeks with Joe Burrow not looking anything like his normal self. If yesterday was any indication, though, the Seahawks need to be ready for the real Joe Burrow to play in this game with Jamar Chase. I think T. Higgins has a chance to be available after sitting out with a rib injury yesterday for Cincinnati. So they could be close to full strength on offense going in this game, which they can put points up on anybody in bunches when Joe Burrow is playing the way that he is capable of. So they might not have made many splashy moves. They might not have a lot of draft picks. They're putting up big numbers right now, but they didn't necessarily have to have newcomers come in and be game changers because they have so much talent returning from a team that's been to the AFC championship game each of the, each of the past two seasons. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is that, uh, you know, maybe they didn't win the off season, but they've won a heck of a lot of games in the regular season and a few games in the postseason as well. So this is a formidable matchup. I think you have to throw the schedule or the, throw the record out the window and just recognize the sheer talent the Cincinnati Bengals have. And as you said, again, uh, I think that if, if T Higgins is available, very similar the, to why I was concerned about the Seahawks matchup against the New York Giants. Saquon Barkley, of course, did not play for the Giants and you saw basically how uh you know how limited the Giants were on offense that basically was varsity going against JV on Monday night football a week ago well if the Bengals get T Higgins back and that is a more complete offense Irv Smith is a quality tight end. Joe Mixon is a very good running back. That, that could uh, hurt the Seahawks with his ability as a runner as well as a receiver. And again, a healthy Joe Burrow, a healthy Jamar Chase, a healthy Tyler Boyd. This is a formidable offense that can put up an awful lot of points. The Seahawks are kind of fueling themselves right now. They obviously had a spectacular performance against the Giants, but they had better buckle up because the Bengals are playing good football right now. And, uh, and the Seahawks need this victory if they're going to be able to accomplish what they want to this season. We're going to continue to take a deeper look at the Bengals in the next couple of days. Tomorrow, X's and O's, personnel groupings, what to expect on offense and defense from the Bengals heading into this game. And of course, Matchup Wednesday will be coming up as well, where we dive into all the key positional battles on offense and defense for the Seahawks and Bengals. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to follow Rob Rang on X as well at Rob Rang. You can follow us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Locked on Seahawks and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. As I mentioned, coming up tomorrow, we are going to dig deep into the Bengals, X's and O's, personnel groupings, and much more. Plus, we'll be handing out our first quarter grades for Seattle's rookie class. So they're draft picked as well as a few undrafted free agents that have played quite a few snaps as well. We hope to be joining and listening in. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the rest of your Monday. Go Hawks.